It's an honor and a privilege to be here with you again. I am enjoying myself very much, as I always do, in this church, this free church of the free pews and the free pulpit. When the Unitarian Universalist World magazine did a cover story on our church and community ministry four years ago, in an article called Ministry in Abandoned Places, we were then on the cusp of many changes that have come about since then. So what we are now is very different even than what they wrote about us back then. And I will talk about those changes in the developments today. But let me say up front that we are again on the cusp of many changes. So if I were to come back in another four years, expect to hear then of different things than today. One of the marks of our success, if we've had any, as an emerging church in a changing unchurched culture is that we are constantly changing our form to meet our mission rather than the other way around. In the 11 years of our existence, we have met in 10 different fairly regular spaces and have also worshipped in many more places even than those, including uh, at abandoned buildings, in closed school grounds, and at our first community garden area on land owned by another church. Uh, even at times uh, at a bowling alleys as part of our church bowling parties on Sunday mornings. And now regularly we worship in the two properties that once were abandoned and are now owned by the nonprofit foundation that we started. And in addition to that, we regularly now worship with two non-UU churches each month as well. And during that same time, these 11 years, we have had four different name changes. And of course, four years from now, things could be so different that we might also be non-existent as a group. That is always a part of the risk of being an organic missional-oriented church. But I trust that even were that to happen, that the relationships we have formed would continue the mission of loving the hell out of this world. Where we focus, where we focus our love on the places and the people that others find unlovable. So in the interest, in the shameless commerce department, Speaking of loving the hell out of this world, and I should have brought them and my little square with me, and I, and I got around too late yesterday to do so, but we have t-shirts, loving the hell out of this world, and that you can buy online. <laughs> At heart, ours and other missional churches say that the church does not have a mission. Instead, the mission has and creates the church. The why of what we now call the welcome table church is what determines the how of the welcome table. And in talking about our church, we always start by talking about the people in our zip code. 
That's where the mission comes from. That is one of the key markers of what is called the missional church movement. The problems of the world come before the problems of the church. In fact, if you want to deal with the problems of the church, look outward and then you'll magically your, your problems will begin to kind of align, I have found. Because the church is a response to what ails the world. The point is not to become the best church in the community, but the best church for the community. That it is wrong to have a healthy, wealthy church in an area where people are sick and poor and oppressed and suffering. You see, we live and have our ministry in the 74126, a zip code that covers far north Tulsa on the edge, part in the city and part outside the city limits. The main number we focus on as, as church is not how many are worshiping with us, but that we die 14 years sooner than in the zip code with the highest life expectancy just six miles away down the same street that we are on. And I say we because we do live in that zip code. We have either remained there or some of us have returned there and some have relocated to be there. In 2009, the University of Oklahoma did a nutrition study with us in our immediate area, our two-mile service area. They found that in our area, 60% of the people can't afford healthy food, even if there was access to it. 55% worry about the amount of food they have. 29% skip meals. In 2013, we did another study with OU of those who came to our free corner store pantry. It showed that 52.6% have high food insecurity and 42.1% have very high food insecurity. They are experiencing hunger symptoms when surveyed. 68.4% of our households have at least one member with a nutrition-related chronic disease. 53% suffer depression and admit it. 47% with anxiety. 53% have high blood pressure, 32% high cholesterol, 47% are obese. 42% of those that we serve in our area, that's 60, about two-thirds African-American, 42% uh, of those who come into to us are black, 36% white. 63% of our folks that we serve have under $10,000 annual household income, meaning they are part, a big part, of the couple hundred thousand Oklahomans, and I know you all will understand this, who are too poor for Obamacare because our state, too, didn't expand Medicaid. 47% of who we serve are disabled. That changes. These, things, these numbers change what you think of in terms of church. 42% <laughs> have less than a high school education. 16% have a high school education. And more broadly in our area, to give you a picture, 40% of the vacant residences in our two-mile radius are parish. 40% of those have been abandoned. They're not for sale or for rent. And many are damaged or burnt. And that doesn't count the abandoned commercial buildings. 
and I know that we are not a unique zip code in the United States. Our post office was closed, even though many of the people in our area don't have computer access for email, which was one of the reasons that was given. And there are no alternatives in our area, like UPS or FedEx, for sending things. And we have a rising aging population, and there is very limited public transportation. So the means to have and keep up an automobile or to pay for gas to get to a post office is not there for many people. At the same time, the government kept open post offices in wealthier zip codes with many resources and options and alternatives. And our community swimming pools fight closure as each summer approaches. Agencies and businesses tend to respond to numbers and not needs. Why else would the zip code with the sickest uh, population have the fewest number of doctors and clinics uh, available. So we live and serve in what is called an abandoned place of empire. The term makes reference to the early centuries of the common era as monasteries and alternative communities left the major cities to live a different way of life and in a different set of values than that of the Roman Empire's dominant culture of dominance. Now it is used to designate our very uncool, unhip, under-resourced, high-poverty, low-life expectancy zip codes of the American Empire, where business investment and public investment flees, where people who remain often feel shame for their lives because if they were only rich enough, only smart enough, had only made better choices in their lives, hadn't gotten sick and broke. And for some, I've heard them say that even if they had had better parents, then they often believe they too would be able to move to the other places where the supposed American dream, good life, happens. The mission of the missional church, you might say, is to remind and let these people know that the American dream might have left them behind in a kind of worldly rapture, it feels like, in our area to us at times, but that they are still and can be still a part of a loving God's dream of justice for all. Now still, while those statistics describe some of our world and shape our church, in it too we have great people working to connect and improve our area because we love living there. We love being in a place where a little bit goes a long ways where we are reminded daily that life isn't ultimately about how much one has or how much we can experience and take in and feel good about, but about how much spirit of life and love and liberation we can grow with and for others. So now that I've talked about the world, let me talk about the response that forms this church. Here is what some of the things we have done to impact our small part of the world. We've started a community center out of an abandoned church building. 
for community meetings and holiday events and a free bookstore. We have a computer center. We offer free Wi-Fi access even when the center is closed. Uh, we have a free food store that serves between 1,000 and 2,000 people monthly. We have a free clothing and household items room. We have a community art room. We have a 12-step group. For four years, we hosted a health clinic and now partner with the local health department, which built a new medical center and clinic in our area when the university health clinic that we hosted uh, left because they weren't able to uh, sustain it financially. We bought a block of abandoned houses and turned it into a community garden park and orchard where events and meals are also held and worship. We worked to get more than 25 abandoned, burned-out houses torn down and up to 250 pieces of property cleaned up. We partner with three of our schools in our area and help start a foundation for support at one of them. Our local high school, my alma mater, was the last of the schools to have uh, any kind of a foundation of trying to support it, uh, alumni or community foundation. We help provide beautification of some of our struggling local businesses. And by paying some of our local neighbors on contract at $10 an hour when they work with us and for us, we seek to set a standard of a little bit fairer wages. And through it, we have helped several to remain in their homes. And speaking of homes, we are now awaiting word from a government agency that might allow us next year to take ownership of 34 public low-rent houses in our area, only 14 of which are occupied. Our goal is to get them occupied, to promote home ownership, and to use them for neighborhood projects and through them to turn more blight into beauty and allow us to relate to more people in our neighborhoods. And we have done all this because no one else was. And because it is how we live our faith. How we follow our missional model of loving the hell out of this world. And now here is the kicker. <laughs> the statistic that sets us apart from some mega church or some big nonprofit doing these things. We have never had more than 25 or so people in worship. This is, I, this is great. I mean, you all, I mean, I mean this is, I, you know, I don't get to, to be with this number of people, uh, you know, to do that. We usually have between three and a dozen in worship. The smaller we got, the more we were able to do. And the more we have done, the smaller we got. The more relational and organic that we get. We don't have church membership. No one gets paid a salary either in the church or the nonprofit that we created. We're not averse to that. We hope that to, to see that and to use that, but it, it hasn't happened yet. It's not a top priority. And our church, which started it all now, doesn't have a budget, a board, a bylaws, or a building of its own. We have done it through putting mission with and to others first, community belonging second, personal growth third, and worship fourth. Though all are important. We have done it through partnerships with others and not caring whether they became a part of the worshiping part of our community or not. Whether they believed like us or not was not, the import, was not important. We have done it by risking doing things poorly and failing our way often. 
when we get stolen from, when we get vandalized, when we have our buildings burned down by people passing through and using them, we curse. Then we realize our blessings of being in the right place, serving the right people, and getting the chance to grow our spirit of generosity and abundance. We have done it with whole new groups of people who cycle in and out of missional relationships with us. Only a very, very few people uh, have been with us from the time that we started in 2003, trying to, when we were trying to build a kind of a normal kind of church in a fast-growing suburb. You see, in this way of, of changing the church to meet the mission, we are living out Unitarian minister Theodore Parker's admonition in his famous 1841 sermon called The Transient and Permanent in Christianity, when he said the church that did for the first century didn't do for the fifth century, and the church that did for the fifth century didn't do for the 15th century, and the church that did for the 15th century wouldn't do for his 19th century. And we would update it and say that the church that did for the 19th century, that did for the 1950s and the 1960s, and that even did for the late 20th century, does not do for a growing number of people and places in the 21st century. The mission is the permanent. The form of church is the transient. Or another way to talk about our radical changes for this radical new spiritual landscape is that as we failed at what we thought we wanted to be and to do, we became what the world, and I would say the divine, needed us to be and to do. Now, we are only one small example of this radical kind of shift in church, rethinking and rebodying, reincarnating church. There is a whole new, broader bandwidth of what it means to be church. Congregations that focus on attracting people to worship services are still needed and are a part of this bigger bandwidth, too. But the resources to do that, as they've done in the past, is getting harder and harder to come by with fewer and fewer results. This is in keeping with a culture that has moved away from a one-size or one-kind-fits-all world. Surveyors of the spiritual landscape today in North America talk about how we have entered not only a postmodern culture that is changing how we experience the world, but also a post-Christian one, a post-denominational one, and now a post-congregational one, as people seek newer and newer venues for their spiritual growth. This doesn't mean that any of those things is not present and significant in our culture. They definitely are. I mean, I'm a UU Christian, so I mean, you know, me talking about post-Christian, I mean, I'm not saying that it's not important, right? But... It means that they don't hold the same central privileged place as they used to. One forecast indicates that whereas in the year 2000, just the year 2000, some 70% of people in spiritual community were in congregations, that number will drop to 35% in 2025. The other 65% will be spread across a variety of different forms of spiritual community. Part of this is generational, we know. 
Another survey said that of those over 70 years old, some 70% were in congregations. But the percentage is cut in half to 35% for those over 55. And cut again to 15% for those over 35 years old. And it's down to around 5% for those under 30 years old. And that the percentages aren't changing as the younger get older. So our health as a spiritual movement then, as an association of congregations, of communities, might not be solely in the strength of our congregations anymore, but at least equally in the strength of how diverse we can embody ourselves across this new broader bandwidth, calling us forward, taking our spiritual values into the world. When I use the word missional, that scares some people. So it's important to note that it comes from the Greek word missio, to be sent. We are to be not members of a religious club, not even ultimately bearers of a religious message ready with our elevator speeches and brands and bumper stickers. But we are to be living missives, embodiments of what we find sacred, and incarnating that in places and peoples which so many in positions of power and influence and wealth seem to deem profane in our world. In doing this, we and the many new church missional manifestations in the world today, some of which are much more radical than us, we're shifting from churches of what to churches of who, or shifting back, I should say. You don't attend church. You become church. Church isn't built around people, getting people to come to us, become like us, but going to them, loving and serving them where and as they are. Anything else that happens is a secondary byproduct. Church in this new way, then, is really like it was in the older ways, really, when it did not have to be a 501c3 organization to be a church with a building of its own, bylaws, boards, and budgets. Those may be, and probably are, helpful to carrying out the mission, of course. But they aren't what deep down makes a church a church. That is its mission. Missional also is different than mere mission or purpose. Missional means a people being sent to connect and serve with other people, going to where the most suffering and the least resources and abilities for healing are present. One's mission could be simply to take care of people in one's own group. That would, in most cases, though it may be a part of the bigger, broader bandwidth, would still be the opposite of missional. Missional is also the opposite of what we think of when we think of the old missionary church. You see, the missional church goes into the world not to convert the world to become like it, not to grow its membership, not to meet its budget, but it goes into the world now to be converted by the world and its needs and its hurts. That we are a poster child for. 
in this new cultural air that we are breathing, our mission, our end, our desired outcome then is not heresy forewarned, <laughs> is not to make more Unitarian Universalist. <laughs> that is at best just a means to the real end of creating a just and beloved world, especially in the most unjust and least loved places where we are not often seen. When we get our ends and our means mixed up, we cut ourselves off from the real lifeblood that will sustain us. It is not just growing a church then, but what kind of church are we growing? What difference is it making in the community around it? The key question that I often ask churches to ask is if they were to cease that day, who beyond their own members would notice in their community? And to compare that with other institutions, other service agencies, trash collectors, for example. Not just adding members, but what are we adding into members themselves? How transforming one another from being a part of what Conrad Wright, our great Unitarian Universalist historian, calls a collection of religiously oriented individuals into a church of boldness, changing the world. Our vision is to form a people that will discern where those are whose broken hearts are breaking our hearts, calling to us to respond. People who remind us that religion is not ultimately about us and for us alone. What we believe or even how we are feeling. Just a bunch of different groups filling the airwaves with our truce while suffering deepens around us all. I am reminded that in the book of Proverbs... There is a famous saying that without a vision, the people will perish. P-E-R-I-S-H. Now, this week, especially as I survey the American empire this week, post-Tuesday perhaps, I say that having a vision, even the right vision, is not enough. Now what is needed, as Unitarian Universalist colleague Dr. Brent Smith used to say, is for people with a vision to perish, P-A-R-I-S-H, which in Louisiana takes on really the real meaning that I'm talking about. Or as I would put it, required to go on a mission trip to incarnate ourselves as different communities of two and more together even, in and for our parishes. When people ask me how big my church is, I say 12,500 people, because that's the number of people in my two-mile radius, my parish. Without this kind of parishing anew, we will continue to perish, P-E-R-I-S-H. For those with empire visions and values have been parishing 
have been committing time, talents, and treasure to creating and sustaining new communities and growing relationships, even among those who are hurt, I would say, by the very visions of a nostalgic, reactionary, divisive world. But they're there. They're in my area. And they're doing some good work. Messages and visions are lost in our world today without being magnified in and through community relationships. I want to say that again. Messages and visions are lost in our world today without being magnified in and through community relationships. I know that by us forming the kinds of relationships we have in our area where life and death concerns beat out other kinds of concerns, that we have been able as a result to be trusted when we share facts and truths about poverty and health care, the environment, about voting rights, about race and oppression and privilege and welcoming differences. To love the hell out of this world, where's that t-shirt? <laughs> means first being willing, so to speak, to go to hell. It means risking community, which can often sound like going to hell. But this is the way forward that too many religious progressives have not taken as we spend all of our energy, it seems, on our ages-old identity issues and thinking we can think or argue or persuade our society into new ways of acting. Instead, we need to be now more than ever acting and embodying our values and addressing the real life and death and hellish needs and issues of people in the community. Creating these kinds of stories of healing and change and new life that will capture the interest and imagination and participation of others. I think we're testament to that. We, speaking of Unitarian Universalists, have and have had for quite some time now barely over a thousand plus congregations in our religious association, continuing to have an ever-shrinking percentage of the national population, whereas 200 50 years ago, our churches that are oldest in our association were part of having the highest percentage of the national population. Ministry in abandoned places could be soon another way of describing life in congregations for a huge portion of our association. But the good news is that if we change the scorecard of success, as I've been trying to describe today, if the kind of numbers we focus on change, that 14-year life expectancy difference versus how many are in worship, I believe that in a dozen years, we could, really could have easily a thousand new diverse communities of all shapes and sizes in a thousand different ways and places, ones that are committed to the ancient and still desperately needed mission to bless the poor, heal the sick, free the oppressed, 
and imprisoned, feed the hungry, welcome the resident aliens, and end unjust debts. Do that, and the love we give away will bring new life, even to us.